0: Religion is defined as a system of beliefs. For many, it's a set of rules about God and what He wants. Most people are born into a religion, some leave it, others stay, regardless of where you are. There's no substitute for discovering God personally. People ask about my faith journey. I've shared parts of it in my books and teachings, but I thought it would be revealing to thread everything together from potty training until now for a story that I call Losing My Religion. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles to keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join us live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. As I reflect upon my journey so far, I realize that the Lord brought me to different levels of freedom in stages. I think that's often the case for people who were really steeped in religion like I was. There's usually a lot of deprogramming It has to happen, which doesn't all happen in one setting. So as you hear from my story, you'll hear some things that you can relate to, I know, but you'll also hear some things that are uniquely mine and supernaturally God's. As I said, I was very steeped in religion. For me, I was Catholic born, Catholic bred, and if my parents had their way when I die, I'd be Catholic dead. this isn't anything about being Catholic or not. I'm not attacking any tradition here. Anything can be turned into a system. Anything can get religious real fast. So I'm talking about mine and my history. Now, my parents didn't get their way much to their distress at the time. Something happened to me at 16 years old, which changed everything. I was a sophomore in high school. It was my second year at public school. Before that, I was in a Catholic school. Now, you have to understand, I lived in a small town in southeast Missouri, which was established to be a seminary for priests. So this town is like a stronghold for that tradition. People don't know much else. But there was a couple at my school who attended a non-denominational church about 20 miles from where I lived. It was across the Mississippi River in Illinois. They kept inviting me to their church's Wednesday night youth group. Part of me wanted to go, but another part of me was scared stiff. In fact, I remember like the first three times that they asked, I came up with an excuse. But one Wednesday afternoon, January 2001,
1: my friend called and he said, hey, can you come to youth group tonight? I said, let me ask my mom, fully intending not to ask
0: her, but to try to come up with an excuse. I held the phone away from my ear. Couldn't think of an
1: excuse. I was all out.
0: So I replied, yes. She said,
1: I can go. A few hours later that evening, I walked into a new kind of church to me.
0: I was a shy, insecure, shame-ridden 16-year-old boy who had no idea what was
1: about to happen. The preaching, the singing, everything that night expressed God
0: like I never knew he existed. It demonstrated a relationship with God that I never knew I could have. And it was the first time I felt hope that things could be different for me. You see, as far back as I can remember, I never felt like I belonged. There was always this internal something that made me feel like an outsider. And the insecurities that created in me were huge. I was afraid to talk for so long. Ultimately, I think because I was afraid when I did that I was being judged. My insecurity was almost debilitating, even in preschool. I cried and I cried until my mommy let me out of my first year of preschool. So if you're listening to a preschool dropout, at least for my first year. I did go back and graduate my second year, but I didn't graduate from the insecurity and the shyness. In elementary, they thought I had a reading problem because of it. They called me to read aloud in class, and I'd freeze up. So they thought I couldn't read when the truth is I was scared to talk. So they put me in a bus for reading help. Well, nobody wanted to be friends with the kid who didn't talk or the kid who couldn't get the bat on the ball or the foot on the ball. So for much of elementary, I was the loner. The one chosen last for teams and groups, misunderstood, made fun of. Which all only cemented the fear in me that not only did I feel that I didn't belong, but I was someone who didn't belong. It created an identity
1: of rejection, an identity of shame. That lasted in me for many years.
0: Now, I don't want to overstate my story. I had a great upbringing and a great family. I wouldn't consider myself depressed, but I cried a lot. Well, into teenage years, I cried in my bed often. My prayer through those tears was,
1: God, take me. Why don't you just take me? And I said all of that because it gives the
0: backdrop of my journey to today. But it also explains why what I experienced at that church at 16 years old was so monumental for me. You see, up to that point, my view of God was that he was a distant taskmaster. Jesus was basically a plaster of Paris statue that hung on the wall at the front of my childhood church. With a scowl on his face, I feared he was ready to zap me dead for my every mistake.
1: But suddenly, I heard about Jesus in a personal way. As
0: someone who knows me and is interested in me and can change me, and I wanted it all. There's no warm-up period for me. Sometimes from that kind of tradition to what I was coming into, you got to kind of warm up to that. Not for me. I wanted everything God had, and as fast as I could get it, and I thought my religious family would be thrilled to hear about my sudden interest in the faith. They weren't. They were threatened. I could go to youth group, but I couldn't attend this church on Sunday mornings because worshiping outside of the denomination
1: would be a sin. I bought a Bible, and I hid it under my bed. My mom found
0: it and got worried. I mean, can you imagine of all the things a teenage boy could hide under his bed? A Bible is what worried my parents. Anyway, with my exposure to God's Word and His Spirit, I started to grow in boldness. That's what happens. It started at home, I guess. Since my parents forced me to continue to go to their church every weekend when I wanted to go to this new one,
1: I found a shirt on the internet and I bought it to wear in their communion line. And it said, Worship
0: God, Not Your Man-Made Denomination. I figured if they were going to force me to go there, I'd at least get a message across. And it didn't help. And later, in some argument with them about the faith, I mouthed off, you know, if you were alive at the time of Jesus, you'd have been the ones to yell, crucify him.
1: And surprise, surprise, that didn't help either. So many stories I could tell from those days. It'd be another message. But during that time, like now, a year into this newfound faith, There was a
0: Sunday night event that my parents let me attend. A prophet was coming to minister, and his name was Dick Mills. He has since gone on to be with the Lord. I didn't realize how kind of popular he was in those circles back then, but I was 17 years old. And I was sitting in the back of that service when he pointed at me and he said, I have a word for that young man back there. Stand up. So I stood up, shaking in my boots, thinking he was going to expose my every sin in front of the whole church. But he didn't. What he did was confirm this thing that I had started to sense. He, he didn't have a Bible in his hand, but the way that God used him is God would give him scriptures, and then he would put those scriptures together into a prophetic word. It was very unique and very fascinating. So he used scripture to speak a word into me about a future of ministry. He said, Kyle, you're going to have a boldness with words, a freedom of speech you've never had before. He had no idea of my shyness. He's talking to me about a freedom of speech. He said, you're going to have a wisdom beyond your years and a vocabulary beyond your education. And then he concluded, after giving some scriptures, by saying, you're going to be the church yacker." Now, for a kid as shy and insecure as me, that was monumental. Hard to
1: believe, actually. But yet something resonated. Something about that made me think, I do believe this is true. It, like,
0: as I said, confirmed something I was starting to feel. Now, when I look back at that part of my story, I think that was a moment when I said to myself, okay, I believe God wants to use me, so I've got to get ready enough and cleaned up enough and worthy enough
1: for it. I thought if God's going to use me in this way, then I've got to get over some of the things that I was dealing with.
0: So from there, I graduated high school. I went to a Christian undergraduate school in South Florida. I lived in Missouri, as I said. Went to South Florida for college. And I always tell people that was kind of the start of me enlisting in the holiness police for like a decade. Back then, I didn't have much love for me, so I couldn't have much love for other people. And it showed. I thought God had all these requirements for me, so he must have them for others, and I was bound and determined to make sure that they knew it and helped them do it. It wasn't a great way of winning friends and influencing people, I'll say that much. After college, I went to work for a huge church. It was like, at the time, one of the largest 15 churches in the country. Huge. But I was also attending another church too. I was like attending two churches at the same time. Everything I did was spiritual. I was going to conferences, attending these two churches, working in church. Every day week I was in the church. Every night of the week I was in the church. Monday night was spiritual growth seminar. Tuesday was advanced Bible study. Wednesday I was a youth leader. Thursday was small group. Friday was intercessory prayer. And I was there for both Saturday and Sunday services. I was doing Everything I knew to do
1: to get ready and be good enough to prove to God why He should move in my life. And then
0: an opportunity came to help a ministry in North Florida that had played a big part in my high school years, my youth group years. In 2007, they were going through some extremely tough times, so I went there to help them rebuild. I was 22 just about to turn 23. Over the next five years there, I came to be second in charge of that ministry. There was a lot of opportunity there. It was a major time of growth for me, and we did restore the ministry. But if you know much about the spiritual history of North Florida, you might know that it is also considered a land of revival. There's a huge revival there that happened in the mid to late 90s and many of the friends that I gained up there were part of that. So I became part of that circle and I heard and saw some awesome things that I can't unsee. Miracles and deliverance. I've seen God move in powerful ways. You can't unsee that kind of stuff. I am convinced God does that stuff today. Having said that though, And I don't mean to characterize everyone in those circles like this. I mean, like anything, that too, though, can come with its own legalism. And after a while, to me, a lot of it just seemed to come down to God's man of power for the hour on a stage, implying that the reason that God uses him so powerfully is because of how much he prays and fasts and disciplines himself to be this pure vessel Meanwhile, the rest of we groundlings come back week in and week out, begging God through tears to use us like he's using him. And enough is never enough. And there's always more to do. And it got real exhausting to me. And that might be a cynical approach to this. Like I said, I don't mean to characterize everyone like that. But for me, It ended up being a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears
1: trying to prove something that Jesus already proved. So I was in all of that. And then I went to
0: seminary and I earned my Master of Divinity in Biblical Studies. And I'm not minimizing experience or education, I'm grateful for it all. God used it all to get me here. But with everything, with all the experience, with all the education, Passion was bubbling up in me that I started not to be able to contain. I needed an outlet. And I had access to something back then because of where I worked. Very unique that most people don't have access to at all, much less at, what, 25
1: or 26 years old? I had access to a TV studio. And so that was
0: what God had kind of put in my hands to kind of give me an outlet. Now, that might sound dangerous for somebody in his mid-20s to have access to, but I figured people wouldn't listen to someone in their 20s teach, but I thought I could host stories of people who God used in big ways for healings and deliverances. So over a year or two, I brought in a handful of people, and I recorded interviews with them. Some of those became fairly successful, especially in the early days of YouTube, enough to where I thought, okay, I figured it out. I know what God's going to use me for. I'm going to be a voice of his power. So approaching my late 20s, I thought, I'm ready. I'm ready
1: to step out. I'm going to do this thing. I resigned my position in that ministry and I launched out on my own. But here's the secret that I couldn't dare say back then.
0: Nor in those circles where I felt I had to prove myself good enough to be used by God. Pure enough to be used by God. Since my salvation at 16 years old, though yes, there was a definite change in me. I grew in boldness. My interests and passions were different. I wanted to love the Lord with all my heart and soul. But still, after a decade of being a born-again Christian, All the classes, education, self-help books, fasts, deliverance strategies, and I did it
1: all. None of it made me perfect. None of it made me feel good enough. I had not changed into the extrovert that I thought I needed to be.
0: Remarks by friends and strangers still triggered reminders of childhood ridicule and rejection, which plunged me at times into weeks of thought. And emotional patterns, toxic ones. I was still seeing rejection in places where it didn't really exist and hearing offense and words that weren't really offensive. And I was still dealing with things over which I didn't have the victory that everyone around me made it
1: seem like you needed to have in order to be good with God, much less used by Him. That's why barely. A month into starting my ministry, one
0: morning I awoke to a nagging voice that just wouldn't go away, a voice that beat me to tears. Over a period of about a week, it told me three things. The first, look what you've done. Suddenly, my mind was consumed with my every sin since body training all the things I had done. I saw myself in elementary school pickpocketing a piece of chocolate from the grocery store. saw myself taking the Louisville slugger to the neighbor girl's stomach. There was no sin too small that wasn't being brought up to accuse me. But worse than that were the things that I had done after I became a Christian. The secret sins in all the places that those had led. So the second thing that I heard was God can't use you. All this evidence was being brought up as to why I wasn't good enough,
1: why nobody would accept me, why maybe even God wouldn't accept me. The third thing that I heard was shut it all down. Walk away from ministry,
0: from the call, from the promise I'd been pursuing at that time for about a decade. I'm telling you, this was a severe demonic war being waged against my mind, aimed to shut me up and shut me down. I was filled with fear. I felt like the sky was going to follow me at any time. I wasn't quite sure that this wasn't God saying some of this stuff to me. And I started to believe it, that there was no way that someone like me could be used by God. I should go
1: and leave it up to the perfect preachers. Well, during that week that all this was happening,
0: I happened to be preparing to host my next interview. Now, that's a real trick, let me tell you. Trying to prepare for a sermon or prepare for a spiritual something while you are being attacked and accused by the enemy. Preachers have to do it all the time, but let me tell you, it's not easy.
1: But the book that I was using to prepare for this interview it brought me to a familiar verse of
0: Scripture that I had read many times before. I was in seminary by this time, almost finished with seminary by this time. I had seen these verses. But in the heat of this warfare, I saw this verse in a way that I never had before. The verse is John 1.29, the words of John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus just before his baptism. You've heard me teach about this a lot lately. John the Baptist exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That verse gripped me like never
1: before. It was that word behold. It's not a quick glance. It's a close study. It means like like really see it. And that's exactly what happened to me.
0: I'll never forget being in my living room in North Florida. Not through a vision, but with my mind's eye. This verse took me to behold, to see, to, to grasp Jesus as a lamb. In Scripture, Jesus is likened to many things a lion, a bridegroom,
1: but a lamb is what he is symbolized as more than anything else in Scripture. You even
0: look at the Christmas story and all the features inside of it, from the manger to the shepherds to Bethlehem, they all prophesied of Jesus being a lamb. That's a different message. But in the book of Revelation alone, he is mentioned as a lamb more than 25 times. Some months ago, I taught about the significance of Jesus as a lamb in a message titled, Behold the Lamb, it's on the podcast. But in short, for Israel, the lamb is the symbol of deliverance, forgiveness, atonement, and freedom. Jesus came to be the lamb of God, to be sacrificed on the altar of the world for the forgiveness of the sin of the world. And suddenly, I saw it. I mean, I went to the cross where I saw Jesus in that place of being filleted as a sacrificial lamb, taking on the sins of the world. But in that moment, I saw it as mine. The ones that were hanging over my head. The accusations and threats over my head. I don't have the time here to get into all the details. I tell the story vividly in my book,
1: Silent Satan. But in this moment, I beheld the cross in a way that finally took it
0: from my head to my heart. Growing up Catholic, I knew what Jesus did on the cross. I was taught that. At 16 years old, I understood what the cross meant about my personal relationship with Jesus. But for some reason, I never got what it meant about me, like beyond the past. I understood forgiveness of the past sins but I didn't know what it meant about my present and future.
1: So when I beheld it that day, I wept over the love. I remember laying on the floor, on a pillow, crying, until I heard, get up and make a list of the things hanging over your head. At first I wondered, is this God or the devil? What does he want me to do? Make a list of my wrongs and hang them on the wall to stay forever conscious of them? But I did it. On a piece of paper, I listed those things that were condemning me. Then when the paper was full, I got the sense to draw a cross all over it. Until those wrongs were completely covered. But covered wasn't enough. God reminded me. That was Old Testament.
0: That's all the blood of bulls and goats could do was cover for sin. But Jesus, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, came to cancel sin, all sin, past, present, future sin. This is what Colossians 2:14 says. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took
1: them away by nailing them to the cross. So with the realization of what this meant about the list that I held in my hands,
0: God led me to take the final step to see the cancellation. He said, rip it to shreds. So that's what I did. And I don't think I've ever experienced something more satisfying. I made one big tear down the center and then dozens more to the remaining pieces until the record of
1: my wrongs was but a heap of confetti on the floor. And with that, I'm telling you, I heard Jesus' final words from the cross when he
0: said, It is finished. And I just knew in that moment what it meant. Finally, what it meant. The guilt, the shame, past regrets and present struggles, finished. The question of, does God love me? Can God use me? Am I good enough? Finished.
1: I can't describe the significance of this moment for me except to say that I finally felt it.
0: Like I said, it finally went from my head to my heart. And another wave of boldness, and I'm telling you, I got a wave of boldness at 16 years old. I got this next wave of boldness at that point. In that moment, seeing the record of wrongs as confetti at my feet, I stood up. I can still see it so clearly. I stood up in my living room that day and I made the determination that if anything comes against me like that, again, I don't care if it's from the devil or from other people, whatever, if anything threatens me, accuses me like that again, I am going to use the word of God and the truth of the cross
1: to say, shut up, devil. That's where that phrase came from. And the rest, well, it's kind of history, as they say.
0: You know, I thought I had a message a month before when I first launched in ministry.
1: But in God's own unique way and time, He gave me His message. And I haven't let up, give up, back up, or shut up about it since then. I'm as
0: passionate about it now, almost 10 years later, as I've ever been. Yes, I've grown a whole lot in the message. You can see my growth in grace in the books that I've written. But one thing that has stayed the same since my encounter at the cross that day is that when reminders of past regrets or present struggles come up, because they still do, they still will for you too. Being a Christian, as I'm sure you are well aware of, doesn't make you immune
1: to the enemy's attack. Sometimes you hear the accusations all the more. So they still come up. The difference, though, now is that I know that because of Jesus, they no longer define me.
0: Because of the cross, they mean nothing about me, my future, or what God can
1: do with me. And it's the same for you you got to make the determination as I had to
0: in order to press forward. God's Word is more real than what you feel. Because of Jesus, hear me, I'm speaking right into you. Because of Jesus, you are made new, made right, made whole, and made holy. Because of Jesus, you are on the good side of your good God. Anything else that says otherwise, you might as well reply, Shut up, devil.
1: Okay, I mentioned my books. Like I said, they really chronicle, like, my journey
0: to today, my journey in grace. My first book right here, Silent Satan, tells the story of my encounter at the cross, and it leads you there, like God led me, to help you really see it and live in the victory of it. My second book is this one, Activating the Power of God's Word. It explores how to identify with the truths of God's Word in a way that really changes you, particularly through speaking it. That has been a huge principle in my life, and I walk you through it in this book. My latest book, which is the official Shut Up Devil book, deals with the mind and help shut down the ten most dangerous lies that the enemy plants in our thoughts. All of my books, all of my resources are available on my website at kylewinkler.org. The books are available wherever books are sold. I'll sign them for you, though, if you order them on my website. Again, kylewinkler.org. Okay? That does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is with you and for you. And we are too. We're here every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show.
1: See you next time.